on this month's episode of the Sound Rider Show, the Pacific Northwest has lost a motorcycling legend. There's a new custom builder in Seattle, and Tom and I discuss our coldest moments on a motorcycle. All that and so much more on this month's episode of the Sound Rider Show. Support for the Sound Rider Show is provided in part by I-90 Motorsports, your Eastside destination for Honda, Yamaha, Triumph, KTM, Suzuki, and Can-Am sales and service. Does your taste for outdoor fun go beyond two wheels? I-90 Motorsports has you covered with a wide range of sleds, watercraft, UTVs, and side-by-sides too. Check them out online today at i90motorsports.com. Hello, this is Greg Anderson, Cycle Barn Smoky Point. Welcome to the Sound Rider Show. And now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Motorcycle riders from across the Pacific Northwest and around the world, this is the Sound Rider Show. The show where, like the rest of America, once every four years, we try to get it right. Joining me, as always, hoping today is that day, publisher and founder of Sound Rider, Mr. Tom Marin, and minister of the DR Dark Arts, self-appointed editor-at-large. I, of course, am Mr. Derek Roberts. Tom? You blink your eyes, man, and here we are. November, fall has set in permanently, it seems. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I, I blink my eyes and I open them up, and I see you on a flat track doing, like, uh, little spinning burnouts in the oily dirt, and that's the dark art, right? Yeah, well, I was going to say, if I'm going to be doing spinning burnouts in the DR, you're going to have to put, like, some dish soap down first so I can spool it up a little bit. But, well, there's uh, plenty, plenty of oil in the dirt on the flat track, you know. There you go. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, hey, whatever it takes to uh, to keep on riding this time of year where it starts to get, you know, the days get a little bit shorter and it gets to be a little bit more of a struggle. But I did get a chance to get out in October a little bit. How about you? Uh, on the bike? Um... No, actually, I didn't go out. Sorry to say. Bucket list items for uh, November. Maybe we'll have kind of one of those Indian summer sort of falls where we can at least get a couple of days each month through November and December that are – you know, pretty good for riding. Just watch oh. out for frost in the corners, right? Well, what? Well, but you said Indian summer. What happened to my Honda summer? <laughs> well, I don't know if you've heard, but Honda's out of inventory, so you can only get uh, a Harley Davidson summer and Indian summer right now because oh, everything else. Oh man, is I'm telling you, have you have you? You know, we don't have this on the list, but we got to talk about this. Have you noticed how like it's impossible to buy a motorcycle out there right now? Well, man, I tell you, between the run on motorcycles and then, of course, the manufacturing backlog, because so many of the manufacturing plants shut down due to COVID, it's really been, it's really been an interesting season. It, certainly the most interesting, from a business perspective, motorcycle season since you know, the crash of 08, I'd say, right? I definitely, definitely. And you know, what, what's interesting about it is it's not just that Honda or, or, or more so even Yamaha. It's not yeah. just that Yamaha can't build you a motorcycle. The problem is like, you know, they use third party companies to source parts from like batteries. They get, you know, a lot of them from Yuasa. And if Yuasa had a slowdown on the line and maybe they don't have all the batteries they need to make up even, you know, like 50 units of a WR450. Right. So then that bike's just sitting there. You can't even turn the factory line on until you have all the parts lined up to throw into the bike. Yeah, really, if one cog in the machine is out of place, it it derails pretty much the entire machine. So I guess that is uh, one of the prices that you pay for sort of modern efficiency is that in the absence of that efficiency, it all kind of goes to hell pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, why even go to work if you're a line worker, you know? They yeah, can't well, build motorcycles. Yeah, well, I think that's I, and I think that has been reflected. You know, that's that's, that's an interesting point. I'm not sure um how employment levels have been affected by 
on the manufacturing side, I mean, the dealers have pretty much kept steady employment. People still actually can't find service tax, which has been an ongoing problem just even for the last decade. But I do wonder on the manufacturing side, have internationally, have Yamaha and Honda, have they laid off people temporarily or permanently? As well, they I, are I know for a fact Suzuki has laid off uh, the U.S. sales staff considerably. Oh really? Yeah. So if you if you know if you're a dealer and you want to talk to your your Suzuki sales rep, uh, you have to talk to a guy that's like five states away right now. No kidding. So they have uh, consolidated that much to where they're just kind of running. I guess instead of having individual managers, they're probably just having a director, whoever was overseeing all those managers before handle it, huh? Yeah. And then and then uh, what about spare parts? I mean, if if you can only do so much manufacturing, you're going to manufacture parts for the new motorcycles before you go back and rerun some gaskets or some spark plugs or who knows, you know? Well, and what does that mean supply and demand wise, especially as we head into, you know, tougher seasons here financially for people, uh, is that going to drive up the motorcycle thefts because prices on secondhand parts are going to go up? Uh, that could happen. Also, like, what if, what if you decided, well, you know, when I bring my bike out in the spring, I'm going to take it in for a level two or a level three service. Well, you better book that like now. Yeah. And get the parts rounded up so that everything's there when it's time to do that service. That's right. I mean, that's actually, that's been the case all throughout this sort of pandemic push where people have been waiting, you know, four or five even six weeks for parts that are usually you know two or three days away and people have been chomping at the bit so you're right if you've got some plans here you better get on that now and order those ahead of time so that you can you can get in and take advantage of course of some of the discounted labor rates that we're going to start seeing this time now who else is handing out wisdom like this I tell you what, man, there is a reason that, uh, you know, self-appointed or not, we are the number one motorcycle podcast, certainly in the Pacific Northwest, maybe even the world. Yeah, I, I think it's my, it's probably the world, but I haven't checked the numbers lately. Yes, that's right. Well, uh, we will report with an update on that next month in the December show. But uh, yeah, interesting times out there, certainly. And it's I, I have been very happy to see the success that dealers have had. It's also been frustrating to talk with some of our sales friends and, uh, you know, kind of see their expression of frustration. You know, things are cruising along and they still have the demand and they've got wait lists and deposits that are 10 deep on certain models and no no product to deliver. So, And, and I, I can't actually name names when I tell you this story, but this is a very odd story. There is a, a dealer who uh, carries a pretty popular OEM line, and that OEM line said, here, here's $5,000 in co-op money. Spend it by December 31st. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't have any product from that manufacturer in the store, so only thing they could advertise was like, the product that they're supposed to advertise with that money, and then when the customer comes in, all they can do is take a five hundred dollar deposit. Yeah, because that's I mean, particularly if there's only a few handful of models out there that are available. I guess well, I don't know. What do you do? Come on down to the dealership. We're giving away four thousand five hundred dollars worth of hot dogs this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and we'll have the contacts in the parking lot doing burnouts. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, man. I tell you, it is. Uh, it's certainly interesting times. Uh, I don't want to dwell too much longer on this because I know we still got some to get to. But what are kind of your feelings and thoughts? And apologies to the listeners if they're getting the sirens in the background, as as per usual here in downtown Seattle as I record <laughs> from home. Um, but what are your thoughts as we head into fall and winter? What do you think the next three, four months, just in general, you know, we're going to see obviously uh, a lot of things shake up and the riding isn't going to be quite as prominent. We're still going to have delays in manufacturing. How do you think the local motorcycle scene is going to fare? Well, and we're going to have uh, less and less inventory of those non-current models as well. Yeah. The, you know, the, sure. even now, even now the 2020 models are non-currents. But somehow they're they're get starting to get twenty twenty ones off the line. Uh, you know, Yamaha's got a new MT09 coming, which yeah, which, 
people have seen now? There have been a few updates uh, outside of the normal paint and graphics uh, type thing. And then I guess we're still we're waiting. There was some speculation about potentially a new KLR 650 too, right? Kawasaki kind of teased that with some photos of like a 21-inch wheel, but they weren't really saying anything about it. So I guess maybe we could see something in that end too. Yeah, I'd, I'd wait until you hear more firms. You know, when the dealers start placing orders on that, then I'll believe it. Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right on that. But uh, it was interesting to see. Well, that was, I guess, probably five or six weeks ago now. Well, maybe not quite that long ago. But they sort of teased some of that, and there was a lot of talk for about a week. I mean, slow season. And uh, Kawasaki neither confirmed or denied, and now we haven't heard anything. So, Yeah, I'd wait, I'd wait until you actually hear people taking orders. It was kind of like what we had to do with, uh, with the uh, Tenere 700. Yeah, we just wait a decade until they finally get <laughs> yeah, it here. Exactly. Until they parade around the world on a special trip for two years and all this stuff. So Yeah, well, I tell you, man. Well, it's, uh, like I said, certainly interesting times. But, so, uh, so on our tip sheet here, let's move on to item number two, and we'll cover that other item in uh, News Bites. Okay, sounds like a good idea. So why don't I lead this off then? Because I was thinking, you know, as we got in towards uh, the end of October – Spokane had a couple of days where they were kind of hammered with snow. Did you see this? Uh, yeah, it happens every once in a while. And uh, that kind of got me thinking because, you know, this was the end of October. And then as we record here, just a few days later over on the west side of the state, it's almost 60 and sunny. It was a beautiful day here on the west side of the state. And I started thinking about some of the moments in, in my past where I have gotten caught in the cold. And uh, I wanted to see if maybe you had a story or two. Not necessarily; it doesn't even have to be in snow. But do you have any times in your riding career that stand out where you were riding along, you thought everything was fine, and then bam, weather took a turn on you? Well, I had a an appointment one day out in Union, Washington. Oh yeah. And when I got up in the morning, I think it was forty degrees here in Seattle, and I got on my bike. And I rode out there, and when I got out by the um, Olympic Peninsula, uh, the temperature dropped even lower than 40. Ooh. And, I, I, frankly, I was a little bit terrified. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, other problem is when you start to get that cold, because I didn't have any heated gear or anything in my younger days. And when you start to get that cold, you start to basically – uh, lose your ability to operate a motorcycle safely. Definitely. And I was feeling that way as I rounded the last few corners before I got to my destination. Um, the irony of the story is, guess what my destination was? Oh, no, not the hot springs. It was uh, Gerbing Heated Clothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, uh, Gordon hooked me up with a jacket and gloves and pants and socks, and I rode out of there feeling real good. Yeah, that is a uh, that's a good. I, I guess as good a place as any, especially if you're planning on riding back that day. I can't think of a better destination than that. So. And and we 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 paused the meeting time a half hour so I could sit in front of a a heater and defrost. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I people really don't, uh, you know, in, it's one of those things, too, not to that extreme, but it seems like it happens once every year or once every two years where you end up riding and you just think, like, what am I doing? Like, even if it's not freezing cold, but if you just go from a 75-degree day to all of a sudden it's in the high 40s and you're shivering and you're chattering and your, your fingers are cold, it takes a uh, kind of a stern reminder at least once or every couple of years anyway for me to just be like hey so what was your prepared. what was your experience that you want to recall so this was uh actually it was pretty warm season but this is my first year motorcycle riding and uh i had mentioned uh probably a time or two on the podcast here over the years that shortly after i got my endorsement and bought my klr 250 i rode it down to central america so through mexico and into and into guatemala and i remember one night in particular pouring rain and uh i had no idea where i was in, in guatemala just going up and up and up into the mountains and there was what turned out to be a pretty severe uh traffic jam in this 
just two lane mountain roads that were skipping from dirt to pavement. And it turned out that I found out later that earlier in the night, there was a pretty severe sort of like crash where a couple of buses and a few cars slid off the same mountain. And that's why traffic was so bad. Sounds like up. a regular day in Guatemala. <laughs> but I just remember I was going up and up and up in this mountain and there were people hanging on. I was behind a bus. I was sucking a face full of exhaust. My fingers were numb. My face shield was uh, kept fogging up. So I had to keep it open. And then finally we got to some town or there was an off ramp sort of road up and even further into the mountains into this town. And I got there, I could barely speak any Spanish. The guy took one look at me, him and his, his son ran this hotel. They opened it up. They made me coffee. This was probably 11 o'clock at night now and uh, gave me a hot cup of noodle soup. And I had never been so grateful uh, for the kindness of strangers as I was in that moment. Cause I bet you it was down into, probably the mid forties uh, because of elevation there and just pouring rain. And I was just a, such a newbie. I had hardly just you know, <laughs> cheap gear. And uh, it was, um, it was a, a welcome respite to say the least, but uh, that certainly, that will certainly stick with me for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's fun to look back at those times. But yes, it is. It is. Uh, that's the that's the irony of adventure, right? It's like the worst time you have, the uh, the better it is to recall it. But if, uh, if 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 anybody listening has never ridden their motorcycle on a cold January day, I highly recommend you do it. But do it safely, you know. But do it. See yes. what it's like. Yeah. Don't be uh, too ambitious with your destination, but definitely you should you should get out there and uh, you know, especially here in Western Washington, you got to ride year round, right? Yeah, except me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll give you a I've pass in these last couple of years. You have, you have plenty around. of history of that. So, oh, I've had decades of riding year round. Yeah, you've been there and done that. So, so. Uh, but hey, maybe uh, I tell you what, you know, kind of along those lines here, as we're into November, uh, Black Friday is going to be coming up the end of the month. Um, yeah. Maybe a good time to keep an eye out for a deal on some heated gear or anything else you may have your eye on. Do you have any upgrades or anything like that you're looking to uh, to pick up this year? Um, You know, maybe a helmet or, or two. It's It's time I replaced my street helmet. I got you. Yeah. Do you have any, uh, you know, I bought a new helmet earlier this year, a Scorpion uh, modular helmet, and I've been over the moon with it. This is the first time that I went to modular, and I know we have talked about it before, and I think you've been a modular guy for quite some time. But Yeah, it makes man, it easier to see people's face masks when they have a modular helmet. Right. <laughs> yes, every modular helmet now, I guess, it should be required that it comes with a face mask, right? We all look <laughs> like that. A roving band of uh, motorcycle surgeons, but what kind of helmet are you? I'm, I'm trying to remind you, you're an, an Arai guy, right? Well, I got a Nolan right now. Oh, okay. Uh, I was thinking about going back to an Arai. Not really sure. I, I, I kind of, you know, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm one of these more, you know, getting on in years, more frugal type people. So, like, shelling out $900 for a helmet is a really hard pill to swallow. Sure. But, of course, I want a good quality helmet. Uh, my Nolan's served me well. I've always liked my Rise. My showies were okay. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to go down and buy the G-Max or something like that. Well, what about those uh, Instagram ads from all those Indian companies that sell motorcycle gear? I think I can get you a pretty decent helmet. It looks good anyway for about 49 bucks. You know, that might be one of the reasons why I don't use Instagram. Yeah, because you don't want to get inundated with those. Uh, I don't see all that junk. Yeah, so they're usually <laughs> they're usually not too bad, but uh, yeah, you definitely need to pick pick your spots with helmets. And I always cringe when I see those seventy nine dollar specials. That uh, and I, you know, just the non some of the Bell products really good. I might might consider some because they're priced decently. Yeah, I think you know for two hundred and fifty or three hundred bucks, you can get a really nice bell helmet. I remember one day a, a dealer told me he wasn't going to sell a Rye anymore because they hadn't updated their technology in five years. No kidding. I haven't really done any homework on that, but and this guy yeah. was a, was a, he he was a good you know uh, accessory Reputable. buyer. So sure. Eh, 
Anyhow, well, yeah. um, I'm going to let the listeners in on a little advance notice. There's no calendar today because, frankly, there's really nothing going on. But we do have news bites, so let's uh, let's take a little break. When we come back, we'll get into the news bites. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Cascade Motorcycle Safety, featuring two ranges located in Anacortes and Bellingham. Cascade Motorcycle Safety offers beginner and intermediate rider courses and is certified to test riders for their motorcycle endorsement. For more information, visit their website at Cascade Motorcycle Safety today. Hi, my name is Dana. I live in Belfair. I ride a KTM 350 and a BMW uh, 1200 GS Adventure and a Harley. And uh, my favorite ride is following Sean. Hi, this is Brendan Ferrer from South Sound Motorcycles, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Welcome back to the November edition of the Sound Rider Show. And while we don't have a calendar segment here this month, uh, we do have some interesting news bites. And why don't we start it off with one that is, you know, pretty important to the local community. Kind of a sad note here, but uh, also a good reason to kind of honor sort of one of the titans of the Pacific Northwest historical motorcycle community. So why don't you tell us about that, Tom? So uh, Dave Eady, a gentleman who we wrote a pretty nice feature on about a year or so ago, uh, has passed away. Uh, It wasn't a result of COVID-19. It was uh, a little mishap he had with a wheelchair lift. So, uh, but anyways, Dave was uh, really uh, one of the best ambassadors in the Pacific Northwest motorcycle community. Uh, long-time member of the Cossacks. Right. Uh, long-time supporter of Soundwriter by way of when we would do our our uh, reader displays each year at the International Motorcycle Show. Dave would always bring a couple of bikes in. Uh, he had the – people might remember he had the Harley-Davidson with the hearse on it. He could carry right. a coffin on it. On, it was a sidecar rig. That's right. He had a Blue Angels mini bike. He had a total beater of a Harley Davidson, which had the split gas tanks. However, Dave had uh, arranged one of the gas tanks to actually could just open the petcock and the vodka would come out. <laughs> or whiskey or whatever you wanted to put in it. Uh, so he's hilarious, really funny guy, huge collector of Harley Davidson tchotchkes, you know, lunch boxes, thermoses, puzzles, anything Harley made. He probably had it in the garage there. Um, and, you know, if you asked nicely, he'd invite you into the garage and you could take a look. And it was a virtual museum of stuff. He had probably, I don't know, at one point he probably had 12 or 14 motorcycles in there. Yeah, and that's actually uh, right around the time that you had written that nice feature on him, what, two, maybe three years ago now. He was featured on the History Channel show, the, what was it, the American Pickers, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, they took, uh, kind of took everyone through his garage a little bit there. And yeah, I mean, obviously just so heavily involved in the motorcycle community for so long. Um, Really, uh, just a... You know, I never had the chance to meet him, but I'm, I'm certain that uh, once the Seattle Cossacks get back to performing, there'll probably be some some tributes paid to him. You know, he was so so involved in that organization. Yeah, and you know, one of the hard things about this is that um, they can't really have a big memorial service for him um, right. down in Pierce County, where he, I believe he's going to be buried or has been. Uh, they had a maximum of 25 people that could go, so... Hmm. Uh, I don't know if anybody went, but um, I suspect in 2021 someone will put together a memorial ride, and I've already made it clear to people who knew Dave that uh, we'd like to be involved with that in any way we can to promote that. And, uh, yeah, 
it's a big loss, but the, you know the guy did a lot of good over a lot of years. It's not like he left any stone unturned. Yeah, certainly. Um, and you know, the, hopefully, maybe this would be a good time to uh, rerun that feature. You know, since it was written a few years ago, give people a chance to read a little bit more about Dave on uh, the Soundwriter uh, homepage. Probably by the time people hear this show, uh, it will be there because it's. I, I plan to put it up. We've got a November issue coming up, and uh, there's some cool stuff coming in that, and we'll probably rerun Dave's article. Well, I certainly look forward to uh, reading it again. But, uh, you know, from one Seattle-based organization to another, kind of transitioning to a little bit of a lighter note, what, uh, what is going on? There's a, kind of a new electric vehicle custom builder. Was that, is that how you would describe it? Yeah, custom to the hilt because they fit the bike to you. So it's this company in Seattle called Droog. D-R-O-O-G. And I think if you want to find them online, you'll find them at droogmoto.com. That's correct, yep. And uh, they, they started off by making, um, uh, what do you want to call it, gas-powered motorcycles. But they're, they're, they're all one-offs. Like, you tell them you want to buy a bike, you give them your money, and they will fit the bike specifically to the contour of your body, to the height, to your weight, to your widths. And so uh, every bike is going to be a little bit different. Um, and now they're doing electric motorcycles where they're using uh, some of the zero motors in there. And uh, interesting to see... Uh, you're gonna have to get in your 401k to get one of these, Derek. Yeah, it's like forty to sixty thousand dollars for. Well, that's true, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, for custom motorcycles, I mean, that's not really that's not excessively bad. And I'm actually I'm a big fan of some of the designs that they have. I mean, their website I think is is definitely worth checking out. And I I like this man. I like it when it, because you know we've talked about this before. The performance envelope for motorcycles practically speaking has pretty much been you know it's reached its practical sort of extension you know you can make a motorcycle that's going to go 200 miles an hour but not a ton of people are going to be able to ride a motorcycle at 200 miles an hour so having unique looks things that are based on reliable frames like in this case the zero and reliable technology and then being able to customize the kind of your own fit and finish i think is really cool and i They've, they've got some really awesome designs, man. And it was fun to watch the videos uh, because they're here in Seattle, so there was a lot of familiar scenery in the Yeah, background. they go through the new tunnel and all. That's right, yeah. So I would, I would definitely encourage people to go and visit the website, uh, Droogmoto, that's D-R-O-O-G-Moto.com, and just kind of browse around. You know, Hey, anybody who's in the Pacific Northwest scene that's doing something cool with motorcycles, even if you can't afford to, like Tom said, reach in your 401K, uh, you know, a few clicks goes a long way. So just visit the website and watch the video, maybe drop a comment and keep encouraging people to be creative here in the in the local scene. Yeah, because you never know when you win the lottery. That's right. Yeah, you never know when you win the lottery or, you know, who knows what other kind of good fortune could, could fall upon you. Or I'm sure we have many <laughs> listeners who are saying, hey, 40 to 60 grand, that's not too bad. <laughs> that's not bad. Yeah. I'll just I'll just sell my Modus and uh, I'll sell it to a museum and then I'll take that money and buy one of these. That's right, yeah. absolutely. So. Or an Alta, or I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to take one for a spin, though. Maybe they can. Uh, maybe oh, they have a, maybe they hook you up with a with a demo bike. Yeah, maybe they have a demo bike that we can we can take for a spin. But pretty <laughs> cool to see, though. I, this is the first I'd heard of it. You sent me the link, and I was I was very happy to see it. So yeah, very cool. Uh, let's see. Over in Missoula, Montana, several years ago, a gentleman had an Aramaki 250, 1972, and it was stolen from his property. But you know what? Somebody brought it back in the same condition that it was in when they took it. So was this like uh, returned in the middle of the night sort of thing with a note? Well, I don't know what time of day it was returned. I just know that the guy walked out, and there it was, and he was surprised to see it, of course. 
Uh, it had the same two flat tires, and uh, uh, the battery was still missing. So I guess whoever stole it decided they didn't want a project bike after all. <laughs> 50 years later. <laughs> Weird stuff happens, you know? Uh, yes, that is... Um, at, at, that almost... That makes you feel like it's got to be an inside job, right? Well, apparently there was some some uh, weapons that were stolen as well. And hmm. uh, one of the rifles that was stolen, they later found that it traced it through a pawn shop. So oh. I don't know if, if maybe this guy thought that the law was getting too close to him and decided he better dump it somewhere. And, and he, uh, I, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, because you'd think after all that time. But, I mean, good for the gentleman. Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe the guy is at this point. Maybe he feels like this is a a burden that he has to now deal with, but I guess uh, stranger things have happened. Maybe I can, you know, maybe he can sell it to the guys over at Drew Moto here, and they can really come up with something. Yeah, they can come up with a custom cool, Aramaki. Right? Yeah, put a, put a a zero motor in it. Hmm. <laughs> I'd be down for watching that build. That would be a good YouTube uh, series. So, meanwhile, over at the MotoGP. Uh, Valentino Rossi tests positive for COVID-19. And MotoGP was uh, tracking all the paddock crews and found out that people were going outside of their bubble. So... I just don't know. I mean, I don't know. How can you control that? I mean, this isn't like the NBA, right, where you have such a small number of high-profile players. Like, you've got mechanics and techs and PR people. Like, just... Yeah, you got you got well over a couple hundred people, probably, that are supposed to stay in the bubble. Yeah, and I just... I don't see how that's even possible. And it's not like when these guys go out, they're noticeable. You know, they're not like LeBron James out there where someone can say, hey, you know, TMZ is going to snap a picture. Some even most of these racers, you know, somebody's out at the local bar or whatever. Like, how are you going to stop? I don't know. How are you going to stop that? I mean, I hope everybody's healthy, but I just that's one of those things. I don't think there's much you can do about it. Yeah. Well, I guess you could say like you're going to find them, but so what? Yeah. You find them what, and then uh, I know. And then you what? find them on Facebook, and there's pictures of them in the local bar. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's how. And you know what? Uh, you know, uh, this is last weekend. Uh, we turned the clocks back an, an hour, so we get an extra hour of this kind of stuff. You know, through the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can't wait. Yeah, and the year can't get <laughs> fast enough. <laughs> And speaking of uh, keeping an eye out on things, uh, Ducati, a new Multistrada with a V4 motor, is going to get a front and rear radar system. Does that get you all excited? Well, is this supposed to detect objects and control your braking sort of radar system, or well, what are we looking at here? Yeah, it's going to come with a cruise control. So. Okay. You're supposed to so so if you decide to nod off or start texting your mom or something when you're on the bike in cruise control, uh, if it notices something coming up close quickly, then it will uh, slow you down since you're too busy doing other things than riding your motorcycle properly. So I'm interested to know, and I, these are probably way too technical questions to ask you, but since you brought it up, I will ask you anyway. What is the – is there the, – because there's no mechanism, as near as I can tell, that is built in there for, like, low-speed electric gyroscopic precession, right? So if it slows you down and you don't maintain enough momentum to keep balance, is there – there's nothing built in that's going to keep you going, right? So does it disengage at uh, – I guess maybe they're hoping you'd wake up when you started to notice the motorcycle slowing, well, I want to be able to take a nap when I'm hitting a super slab and trying to get to Yellowstone. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not going to just use this as a, a one-off thing. I want to be able to actually cruise in it. But I don't know. I The I, more this stuff comes out, I just, I, you know, look, I'm getting older. That's just what happens with tech. I, I hope the next motorcycle I buy, I don't have to spend several weeks trying to figure out how to disconnect all that jive. Yeah. I, I, hey, man, I tell you, that's one of the reasons that uh, 
I continue, you know, my, my car is coming up on 20 years old. Well, 16 now, but you know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't beep when you don't have your seatbelt in. It doesn't, uh, it, there's so many of these little electronic features that you don't have to deal with. And it's a, it's a huge plus for me. Yeah. And you know, speaking of practical things on motorcycles, Honda's coming with a new Grom for 2021. No boy. And to top it off, you can order it with an HRC race kit. So if you thought that like bending over for several hours at 40 miles an hour wasn't really going to do it for you, you could get the race kit and you could be bent over like that for at 60 miles an hour for several hours. Uh, Yeah, I am... uh continually amazed at the staying power of the Grom. Yeah, me too. I, it's a look, there's nothing wrong with it technically as a motorcycle. It's uh it's it's adorable, but I am just I'm blown away that people continue to just be fascinated by this little motorcycle. I can't imagine that Honda saw that coming when they brought this out. Yeah, and and you know, I I don't know, maybe they're using that technology. I mean, it's not any great technology in the motor there that I know of, but maybe they're using that motor in some other models that aren't sold here in America. I don't know. Yeah, like their Polestar lawnmowers? Uh, yeah. Actually, you know, those have Husqvarna <laughs> motors in them. The Hondas do? Yeah, the Honda lawnmowers. Oh, really? Well, I'll be damned. Yeah, flip it upside <laughs> down, you'll see. Yeah, you learn something new every day here on the flip it, flip it upside down and make sure it's not running when you flip it upside down. Otherwise, yeah, you'll get your beard trimmed. And put your ear real close to the blade and you can hear it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's it. You're listening for, to the, husk, you're listening <laughs> for the Husqvarna whir. Well, listen, uh, until Honda comes out with a, uh, a push mower with an HRC race kit on it, I'm out. <laughs> man. I don't want anything to do with any of that. <laughs> It'll be red, white, and blue. You know that. Yeah, that's for sure. Yep. Mm. yep. Graphics. All right. Well, we got some information on Supercross the other day. And uh, I guess Supercross has gone around and found the friendlier states. And so they're, they've got uh, 13 of their 17 dates for 2021 set. And the majority of them are in uh, Arizona. Texas, Florida, and Indiana. Okay. They will end the season with round 17 in Salt Lake City. There are four spots open toward the end of the season. So uh, 13, 14, 15, 16 have not been announced. I think they're probably crossing their fingers for some West Coast dates. Yeah, which would make sense. Yeah, for a second there, I thought you were going to say 13 of the 17 dates are set, and they're all in Florida. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's only one in Florida, but there's, uh, and there's one in Indiana, and there's three in Texas. No, there's six in Texas. There's three in Dallas and three in Houston. Well, I guess, you know, looking at, uh, well, man, so I guess Salt Lake City might be a little bit close to Boise. I was going to say that Idaho may uh, be in contention for that. but um, Yeah. You could do that. Yeah. It's, a, we'll it's about a six or eight hour drive. Yeah, a little bit of a hike there. But, well, that's good. You know, I mean, as long as they can do things uh, appropriately here, I, I, I'm excited to start to see some of these things come back. Uh, no word on if uh, Valentino Rossi will be racing or not. Well, it depends on how his recovery goes, yeah. I guess. And if he decides he wants to finally get into motocross. Hey, it's sort of uh, to riff on that here, and it's not on the list real quick, but did you see that the uh, International Motorcycle Show is kind of changing formats and they're thinking about going outdoors for uh, this coming year? I have not seen this. So I saw this floating around here, and I'll see while I'm kind of uh, vamping if I can uh, pull up the article. But I think they're they're talking about making it more of a sort of festival-like atmosphere and uh, moving everything to outside and running it, it sounds like, more in the spring to summer season because it will be outside. There had been some talk about doing that several years ago, and no one ever made it happen. But they had 
I think, you know, they kind of already had some plans going like that, and maybe they went back to that playbook and opened it up and started to to look at reality of what things might be next year. And oh, maybe we'll see it happen that way. I don't yeah. think we'll see anything in the Pacific Northwest. But. Well, that was going to be kind of the uh, the question I was going to float out there was to see if uh, you thought we might see something up here. And I, I'm with you. I don't think that that's entirely likely, but – you know, you wonder off of like the, you know, the success of uh, the one moto show and that kind of thing. Not that they would do it in Portland, but if they would look at Seattle again and say, well, hey, maybe, you know, maybe there is something we can do in the PNW. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we'll watch that space. All right, um, let's take a little break, and when we come back, let's talk about the subject on everybody's mind that doesn't ride in the winter, motorcycle winterization. We'll be right back. Support for the Sound Riders Show is provided in part by Moon Motorcycles, a family-run operation located in North Bend, Washington. Moon Motorcycles features a diverse selection of used bikes to choose from, whether you're shopping for a used cruiser Sport Tour, Dual Sport, Adventure, Dirt, Sport Bike, or Street Standard, you owe it to yourself to visit Moon Motorcycles and look over their large inventory. Have you got a used bike you want to consign? Get in touch with Moon Motorcycles today. Hi, my name is Kim Grimner. I'm from Vancouver, Washington, and I've got a couple of motorcycles, and I love to ride in the Gifford or the Tillamont Stake Forest. Hey, this is Benny with Langlet's Leathers, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. As the November edition of the Sound Rider Show drops, so do temperatures. And while many of our listeners are year-round riders, as we alluded to earlier, some have multiple bikes, and they do need to do a little winterization. So, Tom, you had kind of uh, floated this idea out here as a segment. How did uh, this kind of come about? Why did you decide that we wanted to talk about this this month? I got an informational piece in the mail couple weeks ago and uh, one of the things in it was uh, uh, steps to take to winterize your motorcycle and I looked through that and I thought now hold on there, there <laughs> some of this is like really old ancient material and then I started uh, looking online and seeing what other people were saying and you know it's funny uh, in some cases there were some similar things brought up that are not such a good idea. So I thought maybe what we do here on the segment is kind of step through each one of these. And uh, you and I can speak from our own experiences or what we know. Um, I will let the listeners know that this is uh, a feature article in the November issue of Soundwriter, which should be eh, pretty much up online by the time you hear this. So just look for the headline on the home page when you go to soundwriter.com. But uh, Derek's got the sheet in front of him, and I don't. What's, what's, uh, what, what's yeah. the first thing? Well, let's dive into some of that 21st century winterization wisdom here. And, you know, fluids is the place to start. So what are some thoughts on getting your oil and your oil system prepared for the winter? Yeah, you know, so a lot of people will say, well, uh, change your oil. And then if you go and you look at articles about change your oil when you bring your motorcycle out of winterization in the spring, and uh, you start scratching your head going, you mean I'm supposed to change my oil like in November and then change it in March or April again? Right. And uh, I'm here to tell you that uh, technology has come a long way since since the days of when that might have made sense. Uh, oil is a lot more... Uh, stable and a lot more in most cases especially in synthetics advanced in this technology where it won't break down just by sitting around for four months like old oils would in the past so not really necessary to change the oil when you bring it out of hibernation but uh, definitely going in 
Uh, dirty oil has contaminants in it. It builds up uh, levels of acid in it that you don't want in the metal of your machine all winter long. And so uh, do change your oil. But what most people neglect to bring up is other fluids that need to be changed as well. Uh, things like brake fluid. If you've got yellow brake fluid, it's uh, only a matter of time before it's going to load up with water. Winter's a great time for that to happen, so change that brake fluid out. Uh, uh, things like um, your fluid in your uh, cooling system. Sure. And, you know, you got to take the time and get into your manual and see what the grades and the blends are. On motorcycles, a lot of the... Uh, uh, if you're just using regular car antifreeze, you're actually supposed to cut that with water. On on a lot of bikes, I won't say every bike, and that's why it's important for people to take a look at their manual when they change those fluids out. What's that DOT grade on the hydraulic brake, fl brake fluid and that sort of thing? So yeah, you definitely want to do that, and you know, just the fact that you know we probably have a lot of folks out there who have ridden for decades. And a modern motorcycle engine is uh, significantly different from your 1975 Honda CB500. Exactly. So you definitely don't want to go with uh, the old standard, right down to the oil. Too. Like you were mentioning with the oil, uh, you know, in synthetic in a modern car engine, as an example, now they'll tell you to change it every 10,000 miles in some cases. I love that. Yeah. Oh, God. It's so nice, isn't it? Yeah. But, uh, you know, compare that to maybe an old motorcycle where they would suggest doing it, you know, every thousand miles. Things have certainly progressed significantly for, for modern tech. Definitely. And if that oil is black when it comes out, you make sure you pull that filter off and put a new one on as well. That's right. Yep. Yeah, you want to check in. Check for those metal shavings too, huh? Mm-hmm. Check the drain plug. Make sure there is no metal shavings. Otherwise, you've got yeah. a winter project on your hands now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or uh, yeah, or maybe don't check because you don't want to you don't want to find that out one way or the other. So, uh, but let's move on to uh, you know how about some power here because people may be going from let's say using their heated grips quite frequently to all of a sudden putting the bike in storage. So, what are your thoughts on battery tenders and that kind of thing? So, uh, in my trolling of the web. You know, the world's biggest library where all the information is so spot on. Uh, a lot of people will recommend that you take your your bike's battery and put it on a battery tender all winter long. Now, this is not a good idea, folks. Uh, technology in the Deltran battery tenders is uh, not what we have today in the smart charge technology department, like what we see with Optimate and other higher-end battery chargers. If you just throw a bike battery on a battery tender all winter, uh, it may work when you put it back in the bike in the spring, but it will certainly fail sooner because batteries aren't made to be on a trickle constantly. Now, if, if you refuse to use anything but a battery tender, uh, the recommended thing is to get a seven-day timer and put the bike on a seven-day timer so that, that battery charger only comes on once every seven days. That'll, that'll give you more lifespan on the battery. <coughs> but the smart chargers are nice because they will desulfate old cells that are getting crusty. And a battery tender won't do that. So you really do get a lot more life out of a battery that's been put on a smart charger. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. And really, battery tenders, how much are they? I mean, they're what? They're, they're like bucks? 39 49 30, okay, bucks. Okay, a little bit more than that. Yeah, the Optimates are more like $90. You know, nice thing is if you have multiple bikes, you can get Optimates that have two chargers in one, that have four chargers in one. I think they even have one that's like six or eight. So. Yeah, well. I tell you what, if you got six or eight bikes, you got a whole, you got a month's worth of work ahead of you here. I'm looking at this list. You'll be out in the garage for. <laughs> <laughs> By the time you get that last one put away, you'll you'll walk out of the garage and it'll be springtime. You'll have to go back and start. Uh, you have to read the next article, which is how to get your bike out of winterization. So batteries really don't like really super cold weather. So uh, if you want to give them a little more longevity, try to find a place indoors 
where they won't be dropping down into freezing regularly. Yes, definitely. Definitely a great tip. And, you know, something else that uh, doesn't like cold weather, specifically cold concrete, are motorcycle tires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the one of the uh, bullet points on this newsletter I got was check your tires. What does that mean? <laughs> check them for I looked what? at them. Uh, I looked at them in December. They seemed fine, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, you, you, you're checking them for wear. Uh, you're checking them for any kind of cracks that might be in them. You know, a lot of guys own several bikes, and maybe one of those bikes only gets a couple hundred miles a year on it. So it doesn't need new tires all the time. However, if those tires are like five years old, they're probably going to start cracking on the sidewalls soon, and surely the rubber's getting hard on them. <coughs> so your traction is down. And, of course, that's the last thing you need when you roll into a cool day on in the springtime too, right? Because when you take it out the first time, if you do winterize a motorcycle, it's probably going to be in the 50-degree range. And I got old tires with poor traction that uh, aren't heated up in probably wet or chilly conditions, and that can make for a dangerous combination. Absolutely. So, so you may be making a tire appointment in the winter. You never know. Or at least make sure you don't take that bike too far in the spring before you get those tires changed out. Yes, that's right. Or before you uh, make sure that your all your cables and your chains and that kind of thing are ready to go too. And if you want to uh, insulate your tires a little bit, you just fold up a couple of pieces of cardboard, you know, like that Amazon box you just threw in the garbage can. <coughs> just uh, fold up a couple of those and stuff them under the front and rear tires so you're not actually making contact to the pavement. That's a good idea. That's better than, uh, you know, putting them in bed with you at night to keep them warm. Yeah, you, or if you have a friend who knits, you could have a friend, like, knit a nice <laughs> little sweater for your tires. Tire cozy? Yeah, why yeah. not? <laughs> but then, uh, okay, so let's get uh, you know, back to business here. You know, you're moving up from uh, the tires, particularly if you check that rear tire, right onto your chain and then up to the front of the bike to some of the uh, control cables. Yeah, one of the things I saw, it said, lube your chains, plural. So hmm. I'm like, well, I don't have a Rokon. <laughs> I only got one chain on the bike. Well, that, I think he was talking about the chain on your bike and the chain around your neck because you're always a little bit like heavy D, right? You wear the big clock around your neck. <laughs> the ball and chain that your yeah. bike is. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, well, you know, there's a lot of wrong ways to clean and lubricate a chain. Uh, WD-40 is a solvent. It's not a lubricant. Some people don't know that. Uh, and it is good for cleaning dirty metal parts, but unfortunately it will go into an O-ring chain and eat away the seals in the O-ring. So you don't really want to clean with that. Uh, you do want to go down to your dealer or, or if you must, order online uh, a proper can of chain cleaner that is O-ring safe. Now, I want to ask you about this. Now, this is a little old school here, but what about cleaning your chain with kerosene? So, kerosene also has properties that will eat up O-rings. Okay. So, you're going for really mild stuff. You want to make that O-ring last as long as you can. All right. Well, yeah, I was just going <laughs> to dunk my uh, chain in kerosene and set it on fire to clean it, but I think I'll pass on that this year. And you can put your guitar in there at the same time. <laughs> well, I am a uh, voodoo child, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, how about clean? Now, this is one, you know, I am. I don't know if I'm going to go for this or not, but you're telling people to wash their motorcycle here. That's a tough one for you to take. It is. I don't... Uh, you know, I'm trying to keep the streak alive. I think I'm at uh, over 10 years now, and I'm, I'm trying to keep it running. You know, you know clean, clean I put a bike away one year with dirt all over it. Could I have taken it out and dual sport ridden it? It was a Harley Electroglide. No, no, it wasn't. Yeah. But I put it away, and I didn't wash it. And I'm going to tell you, the, all the metal on the swing arm and around the motor really got trashed. Hmm. <laughs> so it's uh it's highly recommended you clean the bike up and then you take a product like ACF 50 
and you spray that on a shop towel and you wipe that metal down so that it doesn't get moisture on it while it's sitting in your garage during the winter. Because the goal is you want to keep the moisture out, but you've got acid and stuff that's in dirt that's going to eat away at your metal. So, you know, if, if you don't mind your bike looking like garbage once you take it out, go ahead. But uh, if you want to try to keep it a little shinier, this is how you do it. Well, certainly. And I joke, of course, a lot about the, the DR, but the DR is a rather rugged tractor-like machine as opposed to many of our listeners who may have multiple bikes or even just that one bike that is, you know, more in the shiny department. Let's just say so, if I were so, to... So is the DR the International Harvester of Dual Sports? It, it is. It is the. Uh, it is definitely the International Harvester of uh, both hearts <laughs> and dual sports. Um, it is, you know, it, hey, it is what it is. It's a great motorcycle. But if I were to balance that, and let's say I went and bought, you know, like a, I don't know, a Triumph Scrambler, uh, I would certainly be more inclined to wash that bike on the frequent and uh, wipe it down with some ACF 50. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> What's the next one? So let's talk about, uh, you know, once you've got it all cleaned up, uh, covering up your bike. Mm-hmm. Personally, I like to cover my bike up at all times, even when it's parked indoors, if I'm not out doing a ride with it. Because it makes it so much nicer to pop that cover off and go for a ride and not have it be all covered in dust and spider webs and whatever. So, well, and uh, that, uh, that actually meshes quite nicely with the follow-up point here, which is uh, you know, preventing rodents and small animals from nesting in your muffler for winter. A cover on its own won't do that, but it might go a little way into preventing some critter interaction. Yeah, and you know, critters have other places they like to go, and I don't, I don't see this show up so often, but I, I, I could tell you firsthand that Airbox is a really nice place to make a winter bed if you're a mouse. Uh, yes, and it's a great way to uh, a great place to start bringing in shredded newspaper, right? Yeah, or or uh, find a mattress and start getting all the stuffing out of the mattress and bringing it up to the airbox, and oh, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you know that's definitely thwarted. Uh, I've never en- encountered that personally, but I know that that has thwarted many a people early in the spring where they can't figure out why isn't my bike starting or why is it running rough? Yeah, or why uh, did it almost die when I hit the mountain pass, but now it's running fine? Right. Because it's uh, suffocating. Yeah, you crank it open (laughs) and it smells like barbecue in there because you got a couple of roasted rodents, you know. So that's that's definitely important. You want to, uh, especially, you know, if you're out in the country and you're storing your bike in a... uh, in a garage, you know, or a or a barn, which many people will do. Mm-hmm. You definitely want to take these extra precautions. And you know, some of the older bikes had really a lot of uh, cushion in the seats, and that's a nice little thing for a mouse to take apart. So uh, you you need to control your rodents. That's all. If you yeah. can't control your rodents, go get some public storage. Definitely, yeah. I certainly <laughs> uh, I certainly agree with that. Or heaven forbid, you'll have to uh, sell one of your motorcycles, right? Or three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, speaking of, you know, cost associated with multiple motorcycles, how about your insurance coverage? Because I know, uh, I think you're a guy who in the past, and many people do this, with multiple bikes, you may be rotating through uh, insurance coverages. And what better time to check on those insurance coverages than if you're going to put the bike away for a few months. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm, I'm always mindful. My, my insurance comes up in the spring. So whatever I got last spring, I know what it is. And so I don't, I don't really find a need to go and review that, but if you want to, why not? Or maybe it is time for you to renew anyhow. Yeah, it's good. And, you know, just in general, it's good practice, I think, to ensure that uh, you're, your coverage is current. You know, I know there's been in the past a lot of riders, obviously, in Washington who have ridden without it. But now that they passed that new state law, um, you know, politics aside, you don't want to get dinged with a hefty fine because you get pulled over. Or you don't want to, you know, find yourself in an accident or something like that and find out that your insurance coverage had expired. So. Yeah, or you could have a bike that's actually gaining value and you want to make sure you have a little more, bit more um 
property insurance on it. Yeah, very true. Yeah, all all good points. So so let's wrap up here then with uh, just a couple more considerations. Well, here. Let, let let's do this. Um, I know you've got four more that I added in beyond that original punch list. Yes, and th- that'd probably take us a while to get through them. So let's just leave it at this where we are. And uh, anybody who's interested, you're going to want to go to soundwriter dot com and find out what those next four bullet points are. I think that's a great idea. And speaking of tips and tricks, uh, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we got a few. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Valentine Motorworks, Seattle's independent service shop specializing in BMW motorcycles and beyond. Call or visit them to discuss your next service or restoration project soon. Find them online at valentinemotorworks.com. Yeah, my name is Norton Norm, and I really like coming to the Backfire Motor Night. Hi, this is Rich from Rich's Custom Motorcycle Seats, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. into the final segment here on the Sound Rider Show. Rolling and on into the public storage space is what you <laughs> mean, right? After you've winterized your motorcycle, that's <laughs> right. But even though we just uh, listed off you know, many, many tips and tricks, I think we got a couple of more here for our listeners. Tom, why don't you go ahead and kick it off with a one that's becoming more and more timely. We talked last month about the cancellation of the Olympia Toy Run. And uh, I probably threw this out before, but I'm going to throw it out again because the time is here. The season is right. Uh, Just because there's no toy run doesn't mean that you can't do some good. So um, pick your favorite organization that's looking for some toys. Pick up a few and jump on your bike and deliver them yourself. Bring your mask with you, whatever. And, hey, if it's too cold, jump in your car and take them on down. But uh, you can still make a contribution to make a kid happy, uh, even if you don't get to ride with 50,000 of your best friends when it's 35 degrees out. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And uh, like you alluded to, the Olympia Toy Run, particularly here in the Seattle area, and, of course, Portland and many other cities in the Pacific Northwest have their own thing. But the 43rd annual Olympia Toy Run will be, not having their normal festivities, but there are still drop centers at many area dealers and that kind of thing that will be coming up. So I think that's a great tip. And if we have weather like we had today as we record here, um, maybe you can get out and enjoy a little bit of a ride while you're spreading some holiday cheer. Speaking of the weather of today, I'm just looking out the window and the sunset is just stunning. Stunning, yes. It is is a, a good time of year when things cooperate to say the least, right? I like it when the sky turns orange and it's not because there's a ton of smoke. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, like kind of how it should be, right? Yeah. So what do you got? So uh, I have got a little, uh, again, a little personal experience here. So I was doing a a ride with a couple of folks who were going to do a little two or three day overnight trip out in the mountains and uh, we had everything set and I was going to ride out to Ellensburg and meet everybody or actually south of Ellensburg and meet everybody. I got up, I got my gear packed, I put the panniers back on the bike all loaded up and I took off only to find that my front brake was no longer working. Oh, and that was a bit of an issue. So when it comes to gear, equipment, food, camping gear, clothes, I kind of live by the mantra, you can buy it when you get there. But when it comes to actual mechanical operation, you can't buy it when you get there if you're not actually there. And it's pretty tough to get there without a front brake. So my tip what is was the? You- tell me the circumstance of the front brake. Well, so basically what ended up having to happen is I just had the, the lines just had to be bled. And um, 
that hasn't I hadn't done that in a long time on the front brake. But you know, I pulled out and I had about ten percent stopping power. So I had to come back and I tried to bleed the brakes for a little bit, but I wasn't getting anywhere. So the good guys, uh the good folks down at Seattle Cycle Center helped me out and got me just a day delayed. Did you but learn the, the clicking motion? Uh, I I tried doing all that, you know. I just lost patience with it. I was uh, hmm. at a certain point, you know. I went and I got some equipment and I got brake fluid and a little Motion Pro one way valve thing, and mm-hmm. I sat there and I was cranking on it and I couldn't get it. And I was watching YouTube tutorials and finally I just said, "To hell with it!" And uh, Ryan was nice enough to help me out and get me on my way so I could meet up with the group. Uh, just one day delayed, but. Uh, my point is, if you're going to take a multi-day trip, uh, you know, take the bike out for a spin around the block the day before. At least a couple of days before. In yeah. case you do have to go up to the shop, then you've still got another day of cushion in between there. For sure. Yes, absolutely. I think uh, the more time, the better there. But I had, uh, in this case, you know, I had ridden it a, a probably about a week before, and everything was fine. And then uh, just somewhere in between uh, – hmm. This, this little anomaly popped up, and it nearly derailed the trip. So that is my tip for this month as we head into peak touring season in November. I'm did sure you, many people have long trips planned. Did you find the mouse doing the backstroke in the brake reservoir? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I didn't notice any gremlins in there. But uh, <laughs> if I would have just maybe went through that winterization checklist i would have been all right too but i didn't do that either it was certainly much warmer beginning of the month but all right well hey that's our show uh if you haven't turned your clock back an hour yet now's the time to do so um we're going to be back in december and uh like we were talking about earlier look for those black friday deals and we will see you all back here in december The Sound Rider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.